the instant. We want what we want right now. We don't like to wait. And I thought it would be fun to have a little bit of a confessional as we get started. And here, some of the things that you don't like to wait for. What are some of the things you don't like to wait for? Or you can maybe share what your spouse doesn't like to wait for, something like that. But what are some things you don't like to wait for? Food. Yeah. Yeah. We got to wait an extra three minutes for the fries to be done. We're frustrated. Yep. Got to wait. Got to wait. What else? Nothing? We love waiting? Slow internet. Yes. Yeah, we've become accustomed to high-speed internet. I have to say, I had that one written down too, and I came in this morning, and oddly enough, the internet here was down, like it wasn't working at all. And uh, that affects mainly this uh, for a Sunday morning, and uh, so I was trying to scramble and figure out what was going on, but, but one of the first texts I made was to James, and said, James, can you help out with this? And uh, he did it. He miraculously healed it. He doesn't know what he did, uh, but whatever he did, it worked, and so praise the Lord for that. We have internet, and it's working. I don't care if it's fast for you right now or not, but it's working, and we made it through. What else? What else don't you like to wait for? Slow vehicles. Okay, yeah, yeah. Traffic, we don't like to do that. We don't like to do that. Uh, waiting for information. We live in this age where because of the internet, we can, we can access stuff immediately. Growing up, uh, I would have to, if I wanted to learn something, go to my grandparents' house, and they had some like 1983 world book encyclopedias. And man, I'd have to dig through those things and read article after article to learn the things that I needed to learn for school or whatever. Now I can just say, hey Siri or Alexa, whatever, tell me about this. And here I get all this information. Yeah. What else? What else don't we like to wait for? You guys didn't see this little side side point, but yeah, waiting for people uh, sometimes can be the most frustrating. See, also in my grandparents' house, my grandpa Matthews, he always had a nice recliner. Like he would always keep up with a recliner that was comfortable for him. And I realized in later life why that was is because my grandma was always an hour late to anything. And uh, I would be sitting there as a kid, just frustrated, like, man, we got to get there. We're waiting to open presents or do these family things. And, and Grandpa's just sitting in his recliner comfortably with a newspaper, with the news on something. He's just content. And I learned later, that's why he loved having a nice recliner, because he knew he was going to have to wait on my grandma, that's for sure. So in this, in this fast-paced culture in which we live, uh, we are often just filled up with anxiety, anger, frustration due to things like waiting. What is it that we, we need to be able to deal with those anxieties and that anger and frustration? Well, it's our fruit of the Spirit that we're going to talk about today. It's patience. And some of you are like, oh man, we're talking about that. Can, can we leave, like have a word of prayer so I can quickly exit? Because patience is not something we like to talk about. Patience is something we struggle with greatly. Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in this text. It'll springboard us. Obviously, this patience comes from our Galatians study in the fruit of the Spirit. 
that we're to have love, joy, peace, and patience. But Colossians 3 helps us to broaden our understanding. Colossians 3 verse 12 is where we're going to start. So he says, put on then, remember we're to put off fruit of the flesh, put on fruit of the spirit. So put on then as God's chosen ones, your, his children, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Let's pray. Father, help us today. Help me today to not only gain a, a head knowledge understanding of patience, but Spirit, we're praying that you would cultivate this patience that we're going to talk about in our hearts today. That we would leave here today much less anxious, much more willing to forgive and bear with others. Help us today to grow in this particular so that we might reflect you and your character and goodness in our homes, in this church, in our community, in the world. We pray that you would shower us with that grace today in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Colossians 3, this, this command is to put it on. And that means that there's something you have to do. There's a work that needs to be done that we are responsible for in this understanding of growing and cultivating patience in our lives. But I want you to notice what patience is entails because he uses the word patience, but then in verse 13, he gives deeper explanation. What does he say? He says that you are to bear with one another. You are to forgive one another as you have been forgiven. I think I'm about to sneeze. I hope I don't do that in the mic, but I'll try to turn it off if it comes back. Uh, to this particular point, the author, uh, the author Jerry Bridges, who I'm going to uh, allude to a lot this morning, he writes this. He says, the word patience, as we use it in everyday speech, actually stands for several different words in the New Testament. And it's used to describe a godly reaction to a variety of of situations and uh, far broader than the idea we opened with of just having to wait. Patience stands for many other things that we'll begin to talk about today. So this week and next week, Bridges is going to help us to consider and understand patience. Five areas of life. Oh man, it's coming. It's going. Man, make up your mind. Make up your mind. Uh, so, so this week we're going to cover the first three areas in which we can grow. Next week, we're going to look at the final two areas. Um, now, as I thought of this, I thought some may have wished we would consider today some of the events that have gone on, current events that are going on in our culture, thinking about what's gone on in our country this week, uh, what's, what's gone on over the last year uh, with COVID and all of the different circumstances. But, but I don't feel like I had the liberty to move that particular direction. But here's the thing. The principles we're going to look at are going to make direct application across the gambit of all of these particular circumstances uh, that we're dealing with. 
uh, in our present situation. And so let's begin with this one. Let's begin with suffering mistreatment. This is one area we want to consider, the area of suffering mistreatment. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the term long-suffering. It's not a common modern-day English term that we use, but it is a very good biblical term, and it means exactly what it sounds like it means. To, to be long-suffering is to suffer long in a set of circumstances or with other people. Uh, Bridges writes this as a definition. He says, this aspect of patience is the ability to suffer a long time under the mistreatment of others without growing resentful and bitter. He goes on to say, the occasions for exercising this quality are numerous. They vary from seemingly innocent practical jokes all the way to malicious wrongs. They include ridicule, scorn, insults, undeserved rebukes, as well as outright persecution. The Christian who is the victim of office politics or organizational power plays must react with long suffering. The believing husband or wife who is rejected or mistreated by a spouse needs this kind of patience as well. So how do we grow in this area of suffering long with other people? Well, there's a couple things we have to consider. The first thing is this. We have to consider and meditate on the justice of God. If we're going to have the ability to suffer mistreatment, we have to think about the justice of God. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 18, starting in verse 18. pick up the context of where we're going. Verse 18 says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, those who would mistreat you, right? Those who would cause you to suffer. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if when you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do what's good and you suffer, for it and you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Appreciate what Tori said. We've been called to suffer. Christ is up front with us on this. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Well, how did Jesus suffer? Notice verse 22. He committed no sin. And neither was there deceit found in his mouth. Verse 23, when he was reviled, when he was mistreated, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. What did he do? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In the moments of mistreatment, what did Jesus do? He didn't get revenge. He didn't retaliate. He entrusted himself to the mighty judge, God the Father, understanding that he would make these things right. Another passage to consider, you don't have to turn here, is Romans 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, 
but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Listen once again to Bridges. One of the thoughts that most disturbs a suffering Christian who's not learned patience is the issue of justice. Uh, he is concerned that his tormentor will escape justice, that he will not receive the punishment that he deserves. But the patient Christian who suffers leaves this issue in the hands of God. And he is confident that God will render justice. Though he knows that this may not occur until the time of the Lord's return, but instead of hoping and waiting for an opportunity for revenge, the patient Christian prays for God's forgiveness over his tormentors. Just like Jesus did on the cross, just like Stephen did in the book of Acts. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We have to understand the justice of God. Second thing we have to understand is the faithfulness of God. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The story of Joseph provides us with an incredible illustration, example of how God does take deliberately harmful actions and turn them into something good. Joseph's brothers did not have this good plan in mind when they said, let's kill him, let's sell him into slavery. They were hoping they would never see him again. But God had a bigger plan. And God in his faithfulness takes those harmful things that others do to us, the pain that they inflict on us, and he works it into his faithful, good, gracious plan in the end. The person who's patient under mistreatment by others is the person who's developed a confidence. Confidence in the wisdom, the power, and the faithfulness of God and, and, and the patient person is willing to entrust those day-to-day -day circumstances into his hands. So when the internet doesn't work, when the cars are moving slow, when my food's not ready, when this person that was supposedly my friend has turned and gossiped and stabbed me in the back and it cost me dearly at work. I can entrust that to God because he's just and because he's faithful. You remember in the garden when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, you remember what Peter did? Man, he grabbed a sword and he just started hacking. And he even got an ear out of it. I, Chuck came in this morning and he's got a bandage on his ear. I'm like, oh man, what happened? You could be a living illustration of uh, what I'm talking about a little bit today. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Peter, put that away. Those who live by the sword, those who draw the sword, they will die by the sword. And I have to admit, I wrestled with that a little bit yesterday. That, that particular phrase is Jesus calling us to, to complete passism, pass, passivism here. If I can't even say it. What's he asking? Is this a proverbial statement? And I do lean more towards this being a, a proverbial statement because the reality is violence always begets more violence, right? That's what Jesus wants Peter to understand. You cut that guy's ear off, they're going to cut your head off. 
And they're gonna, they're gonna mow everybody else down around here. Violence begets violence. Here's an incredible quote by a couple of commentators, Newman and Stein, on this particular passage in Matthew 26. Jesus thereby affirms that it is better to suffer injustice than to use violence as a means of protection or retribution. And this affirmation is underscored by his willingness to walk the route of suffering and death. It's a powerful statement. What was Jesus about to do? He was about to suffer the greatest injustice that has ever been meted out in the history of the universe. The completely innocent dying for the completely guilty. And he willingly walks that road. Let's consider the next one. Not only mistreatment and suffering, but responding to provocation. How is that different? How is responding to provocation different from suffering mistreatment? Well, unlike mistreatment by others that is often, that's out of our control, um, provocation is when we find ourselves in a position of power and authority, and that power and authority is brought into question. It is provoked. It is challenged. You're the supervisor at work. You're the parent. You're the, you're the leader. You're the teacher. There's a great story in Luke chapter 9. It begins in verse 52. Jesus and the disciples are busy doing the teaching and the ministry and all the service, and, and things seem to be going so well. And, and they send one of the disciples ahead to a village in Samaria, and they say, go get us a place to stay for the night. Well, the messenger comes back and says that uh, the village doesn't, doesn't want Jesus to stay there. Well, James and John, who Jesus appropriately called the sons of thunder, their response was, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to consume these villagers? I mean, that's a lot like Peter, right? Draw the sword, instinct reaction. How should we handle this? This is, this is what Elijah did, the Old Testament prophet. Why, why wouldn't we do the same thing? Well, how does Jesus respond to them? He says, you don't know what spirit you're of. You guys don't know what's producing this in you. I didn't come to destroy lives. I came to save them. The story aptly illustrates how we should respond to provocation. Did Jesus have the right to, to, to rain down fire? Sure he did. He's the creator of all those people. He had the right to stay wherever he wanted to stay. He had the right to do whatever he wanted to do in his own authority. He was provoked, but instead of calling down fire, he responds with restraint. He responds graciously with meekness, with patience. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, God, or Yahweh, describes himself as this. He says, I'm slow to anger. Slow to anger. Forgive wickedness and rebellion and sin. 
See, when we exercise patience, um, when our authority has been questioned, when our authority has been provoked by others, we're mimicking the character of God. We're displaying that same patience, that slowness to anger. We're letting His light shine in the world around us. Consider it from this angle. Daily, God bears with great patience the provocation of sinful and rebellious men who despise His authority, ignore, show contempt for His good law. It's good. It's the way we're meant to live. And every day, God is graciously patient. We could mention people like Richard Dawkins, comedians who mock even the existence of God, mock His law, His rules. We could talk about the liars, the cheaters, the murderers, those who abort the innocent. But friends, we just look in the mirror. Because you and I are both guilty all day long of questioning his authority, of questioning the goodness of his law, of, of provoking him when we just simply disregard it. I know that's what he says. I know he says that I shouldn't be angry right now. I know that he says I should trust him right now. But I don't want to. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem good. I should be a pile of ash on the ground. <laughs> that fire should fall on me even now. But for the grace of God, here I stand. And there you sit. Because he is patient. He is slow to anger. So we have to strive to cultivate this Christ-like trait. James actually writes to us that we should be slow to anger, doesn't he? Chapter 1 says, because that, that anger, your anger, the anger of man, never produces the righteousness of God. 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter, Paul writes that love is not easily angered. And love is the ultimate goal. Therefore, we have to think often on and never forget God's patience toward us. Matthew 18 gives us that incredible story and illustration of, of the servant who owes the master this incredible debt that he would never be able to repay in his lifetime. And because of that, the master uh, sends some servants to take him and send him to the tormentors where he will work his entire life to only pay off a fraction of this debt. Yet in that moment, that servant cries out for mercy, please, please, please don't send me. And what does the master do? He is gracious. And he forgives him completely of this debt. And the man walks away free. And what is his first response he goes to another man, another servant of the master, and says, you owe me a debt. 
And by the way, it is a much smaller debt than what he was just forgiven of. And the man says, I, I can't repay it. And he pleads for mercy. And what does the servant do? He sends him to the tormentors. Word gets back to the master. And he brings him in and says, you wicked servant. I've forgiven you of this incredible debt. And you couldn't show a much smaller amount of mercy and forgiveness to your fellow servant? And he sends him at that point to the tormentors. To this, Bridges writes, again, we are like the unmerciful servant when we lose our patience under provocation. We ignore, in those moments, God's extreme patience with us. We discipline our children out of anger while God disciplines us out of love. We are eager to punish the person who provokes us while God is eager to forgive. Listen to this line. We're eager to exercise our authority while God is eager, eager to exercise his love. Can I say that again? We're eager to exercise our authority while God is eager to exercise his love. If you're a hothead who's prone to lose your temper, then you need to work on, you need to work hard at cultivating patience under provocation. What's tragic here in this particular scenario that I've painted is, is people begin to adapt and people begin to avoid you. They know you're a hothead. They know you don't receive criticism well. They know not to disturb you, and they just distance themselves from you. And the tragedy of that is that's not who we're called to be. We're called to be a people who are with people, not distanced from them. We're called to be a people who would, would draw people into us by our character. And in displaying such anger, we even learn from the Proverbs that people don't want anything to do with us. Let me give you a few practical things. First of all, in this particular area, you can meditate on passages like Exodus, the character of God. You can consider 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter, James chapter 1, which speaks uh, in, incredibly powerful to the issue of anger. Also consider there are many helpful Proverbs that speak to being angry under provocation. Second, you gotta pray. You've gotta pray that the Holy Spirit would cultivate in you this character of Christ, would help you to become slow to anger. Third, when you do lose your temper, seek forgiveness from those whom you have offended. And fourth, don't get discouraged when you fail because you will fail, we will all fail but there is forgiveness in Christ. It's a process of, of training ourselves towards godliness. One quick, quick, quick disclaimer before I move to the third point. This, this kind of patience doesn't ignore or sweep under the rug the provocation. It simply seeks to respond to them in a godly manner. 
When authority is questioned, there needs to be some sort of instruction that's given to correct that wrong behavior itself. But we can't respond with wrong behavior and expect a right behavior. It's how we respond and responding in a godly manner. In a way that tends to heal relationships rather than to destroy or corrupt them. One final area to consider today is this. Tolerating shortcomings. Tolerating the shortcomings of others. My mom and dad used to say often back and forth, there's only two perfect people in the world and I'm beginning to wonder about you. And uh, that's funny because there are no perfect people in the world and we understand that. Uh, we are all imperfect beings. Uh, listen as Bridges illustrates this for us. He says, people often behave in ways that though not usually directed against us like maybe the first two were, they affect us. They irritate us. They disappoint us. It may be the driver ahead of you who's driving too slowly, prophetic words for Chuck, or the friend who's late for an appointment, prophetic words for Danny, the neighbor who's inconsiderate. More often than not, it's the unconscious actions of a family member whose irritating habit is magnified because of close daily association. Think dirty socks on the floor, right? Crumbs under the table, snoring, another spill, a, a forgotten promise. The kind of patience it takes to overlook these circumstances is probably demanded most often in our families, in churches, in close connection to people. And the roots of our impatience when it comes to the shortcoming of others is none other than the P word. It's pride. It's our own arrogance that drives this impatience in the moment. It's our thinking that I'm smarter than this person because I do this, or I'm, I'm better than this person, or I'm more capable than this person. And we lose our patience. And, and, and the truth is, and some of you could argue, I am more capable than this person at this job. I am smarter than them. I do know more about this stuff than they know. And that is true. But keep in perspective what we learn from 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that wasn't given to you by God? The smarts you have, the capabilities you have that they may not have, they are not innate with you. They are a gift from your Creator. And there's no room for pride and there's no room for arrogance even if we do possess a better understanding. But the truth is most of the time we're just simply blind <laughs> to how weak, how incapable, how imperfect we, we truly are. I didn't ask my wife if I could share this, but I thought it was a good illustration. I meant to ask her. I don't think she'll be offended because I do this all the time and you do this all the time. But... Uh, the other morning, we dropped Cademan off at school, and he's like, oh, I forgot my mask, which is, you know, the anathema nowadays. And so I had an extra one, and, and we were both immediately like, Cademan, why didn't you, why do you forget? You, you know you've got to bring your mask. You know, some of you have had that conversation many times as well. So, um, and then as we're pulling out, Faith's like, 
I don't have my keys. <laughs> her keys to her classroom. And she's like, I got on to him for not having his mask. And I don't even have my keys to get into the classroom. That's us as humans. We're so often blinded by pride in our lives. The New Testament word that best describes a fruitful Christ-like reaction in this area is, is a great word too. Forbearance. Forbearance. Ephesians 4.2 reads this way, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. The verse we started with, Colossians 3.13, what does it say? Patience, bearing with one another in love. Forbearing with each other. Literally the word means to put up with. To just put up with others. It's a modern idea of, of tolerance. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4.8 that, that love covers a multitude of sins. That's this idea. It means that our love for others should cause us to overlook, to, to tolerate, to forbear their shortcomings. Again, I, I want you to hear from Jerry Bridges. He comments on that parable we just talked about, Matthew 18. He says, how well this parable depicts us when we're impatient with others. Because every day God patiently bears with us. And every day we're tempted to become impatient with others, friends and neighbors and loved ones. And our faults and failures before God are so much more serious than the petty actions of others that tend to irritate us. God calls us to graciously bear with the weaknesses of others, tolerating them and forgiving them even as He has forgiven us. I just think of the, the few times we have recorded in the Gospels where Jesus addresses the disciples in a rebuking way. Can you imagine how many times He had to forbear and not open his mouth and speak. I mean, these guys were pretty rough. Show patience time and time again, and he does for us as well. So does this mean that we never correct others? No, that's not the intent. That's not the point. But it does mean that according to passage like Matthew 7, that, that we have to deal with the log in our eye before we begin to start picking at the sawdust in somebody else's. Whatever our wrong attitude may be, we have to first deal with that. Making sure that our desire to, to correct, our desire to confront, is not born of a spirit of impatience, but rather is from a spirit of love and concern for the welfare of the other person. I want to say that again. This process of getting the log out of our eye before we began to deal with the sawdust in somebody else's eye is the process of making sure that I'm not confronting them or critiquing them because they have burdened me, they have frustrated me. It's not born of an impatience and a pride in me, but rather I'm confronting, I'm communicating with them because I have a concern for them. It's not born out of a love for me. It's born out of a love for them. A love for Christ.
So whose shortcomings are you struggling to tolerate? Who do you need to learn to put up with? Forbear. Suffering mistreatment, responding to provocation, tolerating shortcomings. Friends, we have a lot to consider. There's a lot of area for growth in, in all of us. But thanks be to God that we have the Spirit. It's His Spirit. It's, it's a part of the triune God. It's the Spirit of Christ who, who is very patient, who is slow to anger, and He resides within us, and His greatest desire is to produce this fruit in us. And there's power there because Christ not only offers us forgiveness, which, which creates this whole world of gracious space, doesn't it? For us to fall on our face and get back up and, and fall on our face again and get back up and not feel the weight of guilt and shame, but be forgiven. But it also provides for us new life. We have the power because Christ conquered death. We have the power to live out this new life of patience. You can be tolerant of others. You can respond to provocation with patience. When others mistreat you and revile you, you can in that moment entrust that circumstance to the one who judges justly and not have to repay or retaliate in your own time. And the amazing thing is that He will continue to bring people. He will continue to bring circumstances into your life, into my life. People that are going to provoke you. They're going to get under your skin. They're going to torment you. He's going to continue to bring those people and He's going to continue to bring those circumstances into your life so that you do grow. It is a gracious act that He brings them into your life. It is His design to bring them into your life so that you have the opportunity in those moments to grow in your patience. Don't reject them. Don't run away from them. Rather, embrace them and trust them as gifts from your loving Father. Would you bow with me? Let's take a moment and pray. I'll give you some time before I close this out. Consider your patience. Consider where you need to grow. Make that confession. Plead for more grace to be like Jesus. Father, thank you for being patient with us. Thank you that 
that even when we fail, the fire doesn't fall. And, and we understand, namely, that's because the fire fell on Christ. But even outside of Him, God, there are so many in this world that you continue to extend patience towards. God, help us to be like you. Help us to grow this fruit in our lives. What a difference it would make in our, our frustrations and our attitudes as we deal with other people. Help us this week bring those circumstances into our lives that will remind us of our need to grow in patience. Help us to, in those moments, cry out to you so that we might be slow to anger, forbearing, long-suffering. All of these beautiful things that you are. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we focus most of our attention, as you can understand, on patience towards other people. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to continue talking about patience, but we're going to focus our attention on having patience with God. What it means to wait on Him. What it means to persevere through the adversity that comes into our lives. And so we're going to look at that other side of patience next week. I want you to take some time this week to consider the questions that are there in the bulletin. These are very helpful questions uh, for you to think through uh, and, and consider as you think about patience. Some of them are broken up according to uh, what we've talked about today. But one that I particularly like, think back over the past 48 hours, how have you dealt with others' shortcomings? What attitudes about yourself and others would help you to be more patient? So these are the kinds of things and exercises, guys, that are going to help us grow. And we have to put that in. You can't just come and sit and listen and say, did my, did my duty this week, now God grow me. Won't happen like that. We got to dig into the word deeper. And so I encourage you, uh, take some time to look at those things. And I'm looking forward uh, to dealing with our patients as we think about what it is to wait on God, as we think about adversity in our lives, and uh, from that perspective next week. So.